NBA on NBC. What is up, everybody? This is Jim Mollick, and you're listening to Pot of Fame, podcast where we break down former athletes and decide whether or not they should get a call to the hall. On today's podcast, we're talking about former NBA point guard Mookie Blaylock and whether or not he should be in the Basketball Hall of Fame. And joining us in just a moment to discuss Mookie Blaylock's career is senior writer at 538 and friend of the pod, Neil Payne. Before we bring Neil on, let's talk a little more about Rookie Blaylock. Rookie played from 1989 to 2002, mainly for the Atlanta Hawks. He was only six feet tall and over the course of his career averaged 14 points per game, four boards, seven assists on 41% shooting from the field, 34% from three and 74% from the line. But as most of you probably know, Mookie Blaylock is most known for his defense and averaged 2.3 steals per game for his career, which is actually the fourth highest steals per game uh, average in NBA history. Finished his career with 11,962 career points, 5,972 career assists, and 2,075 steals. And 2,075 steals is 12th all-time in NBA history. He was a six-time all-defensive team member with two first-team all-defensive team appearances. He led the league in steals twice, actually in back-to-back years, was a one-time all-star, and finished 11th in the 1994 MVP voting. It's the only time he received MVP votes. So those are the quick facts about Mookie Blaylock. Before I bring Neil on, one last quick thing. You've been hearing me say this on Twitter. You heard me last pod. July 12th, so next week, we are doing our one-year anniversary special. I'm doing a mailbag, please. I've been getting a lot of great questions. Continue to send them in. I want to pick the best ones, and the the larger the pool, the better the questions. So please email us any questions you have for me that relate to the Hall of Fame, relate to basketball, baseball, football, honestly, any sport you want, any sports questions in general, send them to podoffame at gmail.com. Again, that's podoffame at gmail.com, and I will answer as many as I can on that July 12th podcast. So with all of that out of the way, let's bring on Neil. All right, so I'd like to welcome back to the podcast for his fourth visit, senior writer at 538, Neil Payne. Neil, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me back, Jim. Of course, Neil, if, if you come back for a fifth, I'm going to have to get you a five timers club jacket or something like that. I'll have to create that because no one's been on five times, but shoot I'll call it one, first. one for the thumb. I think that was what the 97 Bulls uh, talked about their uh, their fifth championship chase. I love it. So um, you are on the podcast today. This was actually you kind of directed like this was a request from you. And, and I, I love to do this, but today's podcast is on former NBA point guard Mookie Blaylock, who, of course, played throughout the 90s, mainly, I think we all remember from the Atlanta Hawks. And we're going to talk about, of course, as Neil, you know, and listeners know as well, talk about his career as well as, you know, case four, case against his Hall of Fame candidacy. And just like Neil and I did last time he was on the Tim Hardaway podcast, we're going to figure out a way to kind of build a rush more that Mookie may or may not be on. Um, but based on Neil's <laughs> Neil's selection of Mookie as the third best point guard in the nineties, or at least his version of the best third point guard, I think Mookie will find his way on there, but Neil, you know, the drill 
first thing I always ask when you come on the podcast, when you think of Mookie Blaylock, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Well, to be honest, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, Pearl Jam. <laughs> I knew you were so, going to say that. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm kind of half kidding, but uh, for all the listeners out there who may not know this, Pearl Jam originally uh, named themselves Mookie Blaylock, and then uh, they had to change it when they signed a record deal because the executives were worried that maybe Nike would sue them, maybe Mookie himself would sue, the, uh, would sue them for taking the name and the intellectual property. Uh, but the reason why their debut album was called 10 was because that was Mookie Blaylock's jersey number. So for everyone who doesn't know that story, that is the connection with Mookie Blaylock and Pearl Jam. Uh, but I think in all seriousness, when, when I think about him, I think about hard-nosed defense, uh, first and foremost, and a guy who uh, played really hard and was really smart and was kind of the consummate uh, floor general, uh, if you think about a guy that, you know, did all of the little things that you want out of a point guard. Like, for instance, he led the NBA in steals multiple times. He had five straight seasons of 200 or more steals. Uh, only Michael Jordan and Alvin Robertson, who will also probably come up later, uh, had more 200 steal seasons in their careers. Neither of them did it more than five times in a row. Uh, he's 12th on the all-time steals list. He made six all-defense teams uh, and really led some Hawks teams that, I don't know if we knew this at the time, but in retrospect, they had some of the best uh, defensive efficiency ratings of any teams in history. Like the 99 Hawks had the sixth lowest defensive rating of any team mm -hmm. since the merger. And Mookie played 37 minutes per game for that team. So it's sort of another way you can say he, he was he was this hard-nosed defender. Uh, and I also think of the fact that he was a guy that could make threes before that was really widespread in the game. He made at least 100 threes in five straight seasons from 93 to 97 and made over 200 in each of those final two seasons, which at the time that represented 20% of all the 200 or more three-point seasons in NBA history. So he was a guy that was ahead of his time in those, uh, in those ways that maybe, you know, in retrospect, we, we think more highly of him. Uh, and I do want to talk later about how the stats have sort of evolved to think more highly about him in, in retrospect as well for that reason. Yeah, I was surprised by that when I went to look back. I, I don't, you know, defense, what you said, like pound for pound, because he was only what, yeah, was six feet small. tall, maybe 5'11". And kind pound of wiry, pound, too. Very wiry. One of the better, you know, defenders of all time. We'll probably get to that a little later here. But the three-point shooting did surprise me, but I never thought of him that, that. But when he retired, he was 15th all-time in three-pointers made in NBA history. Now he's in the 50s, and in 20 years, he'll be in the 100s. But... At the time, one of the better three-point shooters out there, again, if you look at the percentages, you see 34%, but you got to remember when he was playing, 34% is probably what like 40% is nowadays in terms of a high-volume shooter, what you're expected to do, and he really did stretch the defense. And as you said, part of some of the better defensive teams probably in NBA history, him and Mutombo, I mean, yeah. when I think about 90s NBA, they had a lot of battles with my Chicago Bulls. And I just remember Mookie, you know, trying to guard Jordan, but there's a little height disadvantage there. And then Matumbo down low, just breaking people's noses. Um, those, those things always, when I think of the Atlanta Hawks and me growing up, it was Mookie Blaylock. It was the Kembe Matumbo um, as, you know, a defensive team that kept a lot of teams in the eighties. And honestly, in the nineties, they were probably in the seventies a lot of the time too, when it comes to that. So all of that exactly kind of what I think. And I'm not going to lie. I didn't know the band stuff until I actually looked into it. So if you're listening to it and you didn't know that either, don't feel dumb. I didn't either. 
Um, but that that's pretty much everywhere. When you if you Google Mookie or you start to look into him, that story kind of comes up. There's a lot of good articles out there, so make sure to go check those out. Yeah, and I think that that what did it date back to like um, when he was at Oklahoma? The uh, some of the guys in Pearl Jam or um, their, one of their precursor bands uh, just like loved the name, and also were huge basketball fans. You know, liked watching him play. But I think there's something about even the name Mookie Blaylock, it's just such a great name. I think it's on, if we're doing Rushmore's of um, all-time athlete <laughs> names, it has got to be in, in the conversation right there. And, uh, you know, Mookie Betts, the great baseball player right now, mm-hmm. he's named after Mookie Blaylock. So I think it, it's sort of anytime you have a Mookie, you think about Mookie Wilson, but then also you think about Mookie Blaylock and sort of try to figure out, okay, are the new Mookies, na- which one are the new Mookies named after, basically? I, I feel... Neil, I really feel like there's a missed opportunity now with the, the best name Rushmore. I, I think this was an easy, that was a layup and I just kind of overlooked that. So <laughs> well, we'll do that we'll, next time. We'll do that know. next time. We'll figure out, a, we're, we'll pick someone strictly on how great their name is. And then Mookie can be in that draft later on. We can um, do like an early hall of fame. Look at Giannis Antetokounmpo, who would also be in that, I think name Rushmore. And then we, we kind of go from there. <laughs> um, so let's shift to, to our next mini segment here. We call this that memorable moment and this is when you look at someone's career whether it be a single play a game a playoff series a season really anything you want neil what would you say mookie blaylock's most memorable moment was well so this is an area where i think his legacy has hurt some i think we've talked about this with other players because it is tough to nail down like any kind of particularly indelible moment defining his career i actually looked this up he went two for 11 on shot attempts in the final minute of playoff games in his career and atlanta lost all those games that the shots came in so it was tough to find like I was hoping to find like one buzzer beater or something where, you know, I could kind of get a, a moment like that. And we've said this before, it's it's easier, all else being equal, if you have two players of equal ability, it's easier to make a Hall of Fame case around players who have these moments rather than players who come from steady accumulation. And I kind of, that's what I was kind of alluding to when I talked about the stats is, For me, a memorable moment was when um, a lot of these more advanced metrics like the plus minus based metrics came out. And obviously you look at the current players at this time, it was probably in like, I don't know, the late 2000s or something like that. And you see who's number one there and you kind of learn and uh, who's the best player in the game now based on these more advanced metrics. But then you dig back and go, oh my God, like Tracy McGrady's 2004 was incredible and off the charts. And you kind of, oh, Michael Jordan was just as good as uh, his reputation was. But one of the interesting things that jumped out to me when you dig back into these um, numbers like box plus minus or try to do like an adjusted plus minus for eras in which maybe they don't have the full data, but you're estimating things is that Mookie Blaylock's numbers look super good, like way better than you would expect and way better than people uh, realized at the time. So for instance, if you look at box plus minus, that's BPM, it's a stat that you can find at uh, Basketball Reference. It goes back to 1974 and Mookie Blaylock is 66th among all players in career BPM uh, in that metric. In 1997, he was the fourth highest rated player in the entire league. He was only behind Jordan, Carl Malone and Grant Hill. And all of these metrics that are from that family of stats so uh, what we have at 538 Raptor is pretty similar to that for years before uh, you start to have the player tracking data Uh, it also thinks highly of Mookie Blaylock and there's a few reasons why so for instance 
uh, one of the lessons of these metrics in retrospect is that guys with really high assists and especially steals tend to have much higher plus minus ratings. And that bears out when you're looking at like just sort of whose team plays better with them on the court versus without guys that have a lot of steals, their teams tend to play better with them. Uh, and not just because of the steals, it's correlated with a bunch of other things that also help you, you know, whether it's like your hands and the quickness of your anticipation and, uh, you know, smaller players, guards tend to tend to have more steals. They show up as being better. Like, for instance, multi-guard, three-guard lineups tend to do better in the plus-minus stats than with big men. And that's one of the reasons we've seen the league drift away from big men, by the way, uh, uh, as more analytic influences come into the game. Uh, so, you know, Mookie Blaylock was the perfect guy for, uh, for those numbers because he was in the 90th percentile in his average career season in assist rate and 97th percentile in steal rate. And like we were saying, his shot selection was analytical before we knew about analytics. He always had a super low field goal percentage. And I think people were looking at that at the time and thinking like, oh, this guy's barely cracking 40% from the field. He can't really be that valuable, especially since he's not like scoring, you know, at like a huge rate. He, he held his own certainly, you know, among point guards, but he wasn't a, a, a Michael Jordan-esque scorer. So it's just sort of like, oh, he's an inefficient player. What they didn't calculate was something like effective field goal percentage or true shooting percentage and realizing that so many of his shots were threes uh, in in the course of his career 33 percent of his shots were threes and if you look at some of those years in the 90s he was taking over half of his field goal attempts from beyond the arc that was pretty unprecedented and there were a few guys that were in that same conversation at that time like a Dennis Scott you know you think about guys that that were known George McLeod uh, were known for shooting threes ray allen uh certainly uh was in that group as well but it really for the most part you did not see players take um more than half of their shots for th from three. Now, of course, with the Houston Rockets, uh, you know, in their heyday, uh, when they had Harden especially, they were, as a team, were taking more than half of their shots from three. Uh, th that just wasn't being done by any players, though, back in the in the 90s during Mookie Blaylock's era. So I think all of those factors, to me, the memorable moment is just looking back and kind of realizing in retrospect, like being floored by how good uh, his numbers were uh, from the advanced analytical perspective and probably if we had had something like real plus minus or whatever at the time he would have gotten a lot more um, publicity and credit for being one of those guys that helps a team win because how else are you going to explain you know how the Hawks were able to win those games yes they had Matumbo but not for the entire period that um that uh, Blaylock was there uh, and they they also didn't get Steve Smith until just about halfway through the time that he was there so really he was on teams that you know maybe didn't have as much talent around them but um, he was able to kind of elevate their defense and then of course Matumbo certainly helped as as being one of the all-time great defensive big men behind him but like you said those two were sort of the driving force behind the defenses that were the really the power behind um, those Hawks teams in the 90s yeah and, and I, I struggle with this too and, and anytime I struggle with that memorable moment I know there's going to be a fight on whether or not I, I can say I, I think this person should be in the hall of fame because I agree it's fair or not if you don't have something to the average fan can cling on to or watch or go on YouTube and be like oh remember that it, it is tough and, and the only things I could really find and again if some of these go different directions we might have a you know Mookie's case might be stronger than it is today. One, 
this is just a single game I found, but April 14th, 98, he's playing Philly. Hawks win this game. He comes two rebounds away from a quadruple double, Ooh, yes. which would only be the fifth in history. He has 14 points. He has eight boards, 11 assists, and 10 steals. So if that's, he was a, gonna, that's our Andre Kirilenko stat line. Exactly. So if he gets, you know, gets two more rebounds in that game, he's six foot. And I want to say, we haven't talked about this yet, Mookie, Mookie Blaylock for being six feet tall, great rebounder over yeah. his career. Great rebounder at six foot. But you get that quadruple double, your name just gets on with like David Robinson, um, Nate Thurmond, uh, Hakeem Olajuwon, the guys that got quadruple doubles. I believe Alvin Robinson's the other guy who's gotten one. But being on that is just a highlight game you can kind of go to. No one remembers this 98 game, but if he gets two more rebounds, I think we do a little more. Um, and then also, so a big thing against Blaylock, and we might get this a little later, but he never he never really wanted that deep playoff run with any of those Hawks teams. And And again, talent, you made a point was probably always the big thing. I mean, Jordan was in the East and the East was stacked in the nineties, but still um, uh, his teams never had like Matumbo's not a score. He's a great defender, but he's not going to get that scoring punch uh, early in the nineties. Dominique was still on the team and scoring, but the 94 seasons, the season Mookie made his only all-star team and the Hawks actually finished first in the East that year, 57 win team, 36 and five at home that year. Great team. So they had Dominique. They also had Kevin Willis. Danny Manning was on the team and Mookie, probably the best team ever played with. And, you know, they, they couldn't make it. They can't make it past the second round. And he never actually did make it past the second round. And unless you're someone of a Tracy McGrady type caliber who never really made past the second round while he was the guy, that does really hurt you because you're not, you know, you're not on TV in those prime moments. You can't point to a finals you were a part of or even a really, a, you know, a conference finals you were a part of. And those games matter. And, as you know, as a as someone probably watching the Hawks right now, like we remember these conference championships. Like I remember the Sacramento Kings, even though they didn't make it to the finals in the early 2000s, I remember those conference championships and how bloody those games were and how great they were and the players of those. So he never really was on that grand stage, that grand moment. And again, that's why we don't really have that memorable moment for him. And we have to kind of, you know, you go in the analytics, which, really make a good case for him. But again, just if you're trying to put a moment or two up on the big screen or go see a YouTube clip, it's for Mookie, we can't really do it. And that that does hurt him quite a bit. And that's unfortunate because he did actually have some pretty good playoff series. And a lot of them were in the second round that his team usually, in fact, always lost. Like, for instance, I found one in the second round of the 1997 playoffs. This was against the Bulls, of course, because they always were going up against the Bulls. (laughs) And Mookie in this series, again, against one of the greatest teams of all time, he averaged 20 Point six points per game, 6.6 rebounds per game goes to what you were saying about him being an underrated rebounder, six and a half assists per game, 1.8 steals per game, and had a 58.3% true shooting uh, percentage. He was the best player on the Hawks by far in that series. In game two of that series, he had 26 points, nine assists, seven rebounds, three steals, and went nine for 13 from the floor with eight threes. And Atlanta actually won the game on the road, 103 to 95. And yet they lost the series four to one. And I think that that is kind of the microcosm of his career with the Hawks. I fully believe he could have been the starting point guard on a championship team 
I think particularly in a different era, one that kind of valued the three-point sh uh, shot more. But it says a lot about sort of where the Hawks were uh, and his supporting cast was at that time that they were asking him to be their best player while trying to knock off this team that was one of the best ever. And you're just not going to be able to, to do that if Mookie Blaylock is your best player. But you might be able to do that if he's your co-second best player or at worst, your third best player something like that so I think that they're that and and if you look at some of the first round series where they did win uh in 1994 he was the best player in the Hawks when they knocked off the heat uh he averaged a ton of assists ton of steals shot 40 percent from three scored 13.6 points per game in, in that series uh and then in 96 he was second to Steve Smith in what's called game score, which is just tries to figure out, you know, the, the overall totality of your statistical uh, contributions. When they beat the Pacers though, uh, he, sh he shot 38%, yes, but he averaged 16 points, eight assists and 3.4 steals per game in that uh, series. So he was capable of playing really well in series that they won against teams like the Heat, like the Pacers, you know, some of these uh, teams that, you know, the Pacers were only, uh, you know, four years later would go to the finals in that power vacuum created by Michael Jordan's retirement and sort of the, the breakup of the, of the Bulls dynasty. So I think, you know, if you think about um, a, a universe in which Michael Jordan kept playing baseball, right, and, and didn't, uh, didn't come back for that second three-peat, we might be talking very differently about Mookie Blaylock. We might, might be talking about him as a, as a player that at least was the starting point guard and one of the sort of key players on a team that went to the finals because like take 97 again, say they face Miami in the conference finals because that's who Chicago played. So say they yeah. make it through there and, and do that. The Hawks and the Heat had the same net rating during the regular season. I think they would have had a very fighting chance I like to those win that matchups. and go to the finals. Sort of like, yeah. oh yeah. I like, I mean, yeah. I like Mookie uh, so, on Hardaway and I like Matumbo on versus Morning. Hardaway, like, Matumbo and yeah, Morning. That'd be yeah. a great series. Yeah. However, I mean, obviously, Neil, I don't want to live in a universe where Michael Jordan continued to play baseball. Right. Exactly. That, that's obviously, my nightmare. We got, we, we got sort of the, 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 um, the benefit of seeing the, the Bulls second three-peat because that didn't happen. But it's just one of those things where, you know, the, the arc of history sort of bends away from a player like Mookie Blaylock. But if his timing had been just very slightly different, it, it could have, you know, he could have been Trey Young. Uh, you know, he could yeah. be the guy that's sort of having a, a great play off and takes a team to the Eastern Conference Finals and maybe beyond. Uh, and then we would say, oh, that memorable moment. Well, of course, it was the game that he had against, you know, uh, the, the Heat in the 97 Eastern Conference Finals. But of course, that, that, that never happened. That only exists in, our, uh, in a hypothetical. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a really great point. And to be honest, being, being a guard in the East uh, did not help in the 90s just because Jordan was there ruining a lot of people's lives. When you think of the best guards in the 90s, you think of mostly Western guards. You think of Stockton. You mm -hmm. think of Payton. You think of Kevin Johnson because they were able to get to the finals because they didn't have to face Michael until they got to the, the finals. It, it, I mean, it really does. It hurts a lot of people's legacies, honestly, to have to play in the 90s because other than times he retired, it was really him winning it. And, uh, and just ask the Knicks. Years, so. Just yeah. ask the Knicks about that. You know, I feel like they lost to the Bulls as much as anyone. And maybe that didn't keep Patrick Ewing, you know, for instance, from 
being considered for the Hall of Fame, he was kind of self-evidently that for a long time. But, you know, there may have been other players that could have played themselves up to that level, if not for Michael. So Michael definitely, I, I think you get a little bit of that with LeBron, right, in the, in yep. the East um, in the past decade, where it's like, you know, there are so many teams that he just sort of took away that opportunity to uh, shine on the big stage because he was just there every year, you know, always standing in people's way. No. Most definitely. So, Neo, moving to our last mini segment here, we call this Ain't Twins. Ah, no! Quarterbacks eating dirt! Pom-poms and short skirts! Fans who won't quit! And those twins! And this is where we look at the Hall of Fame today and try to compare someone who best represents, you think, Mookie Blaylock, whether it be playing style or statistical reasons or just how they played in general. Who would you say is the twin of Mookie Blaylock, who's already in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Yeah, well, this is another one where it is a little bit hard to find like a perfect comparison. I think you could make a comparison, though, with somebody like Jason Kidd. We mm. talked about the rebounding. Uh, we talked about the defense. Those were things that both guys really known for, obviously, the playmaking. You know, Kidd uh, was one of the best ever. But I think you could put Mookie, you know, at least in the same conversation uh, as far as, you know, pure point guards uh, and distributors go. Because both were kind of uh, push and pass type guys. You know, they, they push the ball up the court. They're capable of kind of grabbing the rebound, going coast to coast, and then finding somebody, you know, uh, finding the open man off of that. Uh, Blaylock was even a better shooter than Kidd until sort of that turn that Kidd made uh, later in his career, maybe when he joined Dallas, where he became more of sort of a spot up shooter rather than uh, a guy that, that shot off the dribble. Obviously, Jason Kidd was a better player than Mookie Blaylock, not trying to, to say that, that they were the same uh, caliber of player, but I think they were certainly uh, similar types of players, got a lot of steals, you know, also they were, they were known for that. They could score a little if needed. And again, going back to that example of the power vacuum that existed after Michael retired the second time. Uh, Jason Kidd and his, uh, the New Jersey Nets era, Jason Kidd, that was kind of the blueprint for what the Hawks might have been if uh, Jordan hadn't been standing in the way as well, because there was a definite vacuum of, you know, power in the East at that time, which is how you end up with, you know, Allen Iverson, 76ers going to the finals that, that one year. And then the next two years, Jason Kidd and the Nets went to the finals. Those were all years that if you're a team like the Hawks in the nineties, you could have, you could have easily made the finals out of that sort of crop of competition. Uh, so I think that that's another way in which kids sort of had the benefit of timing and history and kind of coming along at the right moment to, to have those finals appearances in a way that the Hawks and, and Mookie Blaylock didn't. Um, and as far as other twins go, I mean, you'd really have to stretch for some, some of the other ones. Like Gary Payton is an obvious comparison because of the defense, although I think he was a lot better of a scorer than Blaylock or Kidd for that matter. Isaiah Thomas, also sort of a small guard uh, who, who got a lot of steals and, and could pass. But again, he was a better scorer. So I think uh, one of the things that hurts Blaylock also, in addition to the lack of moments, is he just didn't play as long or sort of leave as much of a winning mark as any of the guys that I just mentioned. So I think most of the players that you could compare Mookie Blaylock to are in that sort of hall of pretty damn good player uh, types, which I think says a lot about Mookie's candidacy. So like Fat Lever, 
Daryl Armstrong, Terrell Brandon, Alvin Robertson, Derek Harper. Those are guys. And I think if you're looking at current players, uh, some guys that stood out to me were like Fred Van Vliet, yeah. you know, Mike Conley Jr. These are guys that probably aren't going to be in the Hall of Fame. Maybe you could make a, a, a case for them at some point or whatever, but uh, it's really more of like the Hall of Good type of guys that Mookie Blaylock uh, matches and kind of meshes better with. I think Mike Conley Jr. is like almost perfect comp for someone in the league today and kind of what they do. Um, excellent player, you know, one of the better point guards. But again, he just made his first all-star team this year um, after like I think two different injuries happened to make it. And Mookie only made one all-star team, which of course is going to be in the case against the one person you haven't mentioned who's in the hall. I actually thought this was a very almost one-on-one comp here was Mo Cheeks. Oh, who, yeah, yeah. who just got in in 2018 because if you look at his career numbers, I mean, Mookie, honestly, numbers-wise, is better than Mo Cheeks. Mo Cheeks for his career average 11 points per game, so less than Mookie, three boards less than Mookie, and seven assists, which is right around Mookie, and 2.2 steals, which is just under Mookie. Um, what he has over Mookie is he played on those great Sixers teams in the 80s, and they, they won the 83 championship, and that Sixers team's known. I mean, they swept the Lakers in the finals. It was known as one of the better teams in NBA history. And he was the point guard of that. That that's the main difference between Mo Cheeks and Mookie Blaylock. Other than that, like all defensive teams about the same. Mo Cheeks made five. Mookie made six. Uh, Maurice made a few more all-star teams, but he never led the league in steals or anything. Um, and it was just that consistent, you know, 16, 17 points per game, seven assists, floor general, excellent defender which Mookie is the only difference is all that playoff experience. He played in three finals. He played in, I think double the playoff series that Mookie did. And we remember him from that 83 championship. We remember him from the playoffs in the eighties against, you know, the Celtics going up there and then the Lakers in the finals. And that's what we can hang our hat on. And, and, and again, that's what Mookie's missing. And that's where it's, it's crazy, right? How timing and just maybe being a part. Cause like Maurice cheeks is not the best player on those Sixers teams far from it. It's Moses Malone. It's Dr. J. It's even Andrew Tony. Like he's like the fourth best guy on that team, but he's a part of that team. And again, that's sometimes it's luck, right? When it comes to this, sometimes it's luck and just Mookie never had that fire fire power behind him. And I love that comparison, especially because Mo Cheeks is another guy that we sort of unearthed uh, in retrospect. Oh, yeah. Looked at his his um, advanced metrics and we're like, they're good. Holy crap. This guy's career was way better than anyone thought at the time. So I, I love that comparison. And yeah, something like box plus minus is uh, just a huge fan of Mo Cheeks. And I think in general, just a huge fan of players that again have that profile of assists steals shooting efficiency maybe off of threes maybe you know better than people give credit for if you're just looking at a field goal percentage like raw field goal percentage uh and yeah just being able to sort of do a lot of little like good things that add up for a team uh and and it's instructive about like what types of point guards help you win also i mean like any of these guys that we're talking about obviously you would take the hall of famers that we mentioned but some of the other sort of like lesser players uh that we've been mentioning you would if you're building a team right now you would love to have any of those guys as your oh, yeah. point guard and and sort of you know that that i think is maybe a, a part of mookie Blaylock's case is that he's a player that looks a lot more like players that you can win with at point guard now than maybe uh you know in an earlier era of the game 
No, most, most definitely. So, Neil, I want to get to court. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! So, court, of course, case four, case against. I, I know we got some stuff we want to cover in case against. For case four, um, I have a few things down here we haven't touched yet. But I know in the beginning, you, you kept dropping it. And I know in that memorable moment, you threw a lot of these like, you know, advanced statistics out that really, you know, grade Mookie well. And I think that's one of the big things for his cases right now and down the line, as we look back and we look at data that we weren't looking at, you know, early on and during NBA history, it really, you know, paints Mookie in a much better light than some of his accolades might have. Are there any others that you haven't mentioned yet that you want to kind of tell the audience now, because I, I think those really do are some of the main bullet points you would lead with. If you're talking about Mookie Blaylock as a hall of famer. Yeah, it really is like the metrics, like, you know, he's top 10 all time and steal percentage. Uh, he's uh, in the top 70, like I said, in box plus minus, uh, as well as defensive box plus minus. That's really what was driving it. He's 60th all time in value over replacement yeah. player, which is sort of based on uh, almost like the counting stat version of uh, BPM. He's also in the top 70 all time in triple doubles, which is interesting and kind <laughs> yes. of goes to what you were saying about that that one game where he missed a uh, quadruple double, uh, just just he, barely missed it. So I I'm mean, gonna, I'm going to guess he's the shortest. Shortest person on that lit, like no one shorter than him with more triple doubles, I would just assume, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't uh, imagine. I, I think uh, even Bob Cousy, I was like, well, Bob Cousy is probably the same height, but he's 6'1. Yeah. Uh, you know, it shows up on the list for John Rondo, 6'1. So, yep. yeah, it's tough to find players on there that are uh, six feet uh, or shorter and, and kind of doing the rebounding component of, uh, of, of the triple double. So yeah, like, uh, well, here's one that I think we didn't talk about. He's not, he's not as short, but Michael Ray Richardson is another yes. interesting one that shows up often on that great defender. He had 21 triple doubles in his career. So uh, a, a few more than, than uh, Mookie Blaylock did. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's that type of player that I think we're just going to see show up again and again as being sort of the archetype that uh, Mookie embodied. So there's two things I want to talk about here. I dug this up. I, I'm not going to lie. I zero. First of all, I've never even thought about this when I'm thinking about basketball and defense. So do you ever, have you ever looked at steal to fall ratios? Oh, interesting. Uh, <laughs> so, I never thought about that, but it kind of makes sense. Like, so does he have, was he efficient with his steal attempts? where like he didn't he didn't foul uh, a lot compared to his steals. He he is the best by far in history. Oh my god. Of, of 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 steal to foul ratio. So let me let me run through some of this. Okay. Um and this is from this is I did not just discover this myself. I'm not taking credit for that. I came across an SB Nation um article and it it called this out. I I've, I've never heard about this. They did a whole analysis super interesting. So apparently the average NBA player um, commits around three fouls for every steal. So for every steal, three fouls. Um, usually it's, it's worse among bigs. Guards are a little better. Uh, but even having more steals than fouls, so even having a one-to-one -one steals to fouls is pretty uncommon. The only player today that really does it almost every year is Jimmy Butler. His is just a little north of one-to-one. -one. He, he, he has about 1.13 steals for every one foul he commits. So a little better. 
if you look at some of the better defensive players today, like Chris Paul, right? First NBA Finals, congratulations, Chris Paul. His career average is 0.87 steals to every foul, and he's a six-time steals champion. For Mookie Blaylock, his career average is 1.23 steals per foul. Wow. For 10 of 13 seasons, he had over a one-to-one ratio. And of over his career, he had 2,075 steals to 1,687 fouls. Um, no one even comes close. The second closest, very random, Allen Iverson, but he still fouled 10% more of the time in terms of ratio, steal the, um, steal the foul ratio than Mookie. So he's second best. He's still 10% behind. So no one even comes close to Mookie Blaylock here. I have never thought about this in my life. I do not know if this is important at all. I have to really <laughs> think about I found it yesterday. And I'm just, I mean, I guess it shows, right? He's not reaching in all the time. Yeah. He's an efficient defender. He's not putting you in foul trouble or anything like that. But it's just like a really unique stat that he he's clear and above number one all time. And it's that just super is amazing. Odd. I love that. I love that find. That's such a such a deep <laughs> deep cut. The deep uh, cut. stat. Yeah, it really is. Now I I probably would have done like uh, steals plus blocks per foul mm. because you can commit uh, fouls while blocking. I I would yeah. assume actually it's probably a lot more common to to commit a foul so. while trying to block than than trying to steal. But yeah, I guess it is sort of just this idea of like when you try to do something defensively like do something uh, in terms of take the ball away or reject a, a shot attempt are you successful more often than unsuccessful uh although there's probably a lot of noise in there like when you oh, said yeah. Al, alan iverson was alan also up, up there, there. that's yeah. a little random i mean iverson Super. was was a he was really good at uh getting steals i don't know that i would classify him as an amazing defensive guard and in fact all, a lot of his steals were sort of a weak side like overplay passing lane jumping yep. sort of cherry picking type of place so i I don't know if this is a positive or a negative for Mookie Blaylock because also I remember there was some research long ago when they were trying to find correlations between stats and, and plus minus that fouls sometimes can be positively correlated with a player's defensive impact. In other mm -hmm. words, it, it's sort of an indicator that you're, you're active, right? You're like, yep. you're doing stuff and yes, you might get fouled, but would you rather have like Steve Nash? I remember almost never uh, committed fouls, but he was known as a very poor defensive guard. And one of the indications of that was like, it, you, it's almost like committing errors in baseball, right? Like to sure. commit an error, you actually have to get to the ball in the first place. So somebody like Derek Jeter, doesn't commit a lot of errors, but like he also doesn't get to a lot of baseball. So yep. there were uh, there were there were defensive shortstops that had a lower fielding percentage than Jeter, but were better than him uh, just because they were able to actually get to the ball more often. So I, I don't know whether this is a case like that, but it's sort of food for thought when we're thinking about it. But I love the creativity in coming up with that stat, at least. But most definitely. I mean, again, I've never heard that in my life. The fact that Jimmy Butler, who's a great defender, is and one he's of the a great only defender. Yeah. So the fact that he's kind of up there makes me think better. But my same thoughts when I saw Iverson's name up there, too, I was like, well, that doesn't really bode well. Iverson got a ton of steals, you said, but definitely was not a lockdown defender by any means. So I want to bring it up just because it was kind of out of left field and I thought it was pretty fun. And then the other thing. When it comes to the Basketball Hall of Fame, it, it is your entire basketball career. It is even they even consider high school. It's high school, college, and um, it is the pros. 
And I, I know that more honestly, because when I looked at Glenn Rice's case, he's one of the only players to ever win a state championship, a college championship and an NBA championship. And then we were even looking at Muggsy Bugs the other day, which will be an episode coming out soon. It's not been released yet. And his high school resume is like off the charts. Talking about steals, the guy averaged eight steals a game in, in high school. But anyway, do you know much about Mookie's career at Oklahoma, Neil? Well, I know Oklahoma went to the NCAA championship game in 1988 and lost. Uh, uh, and it lost to Kansas yep. and future teammate Danny Manning, right? Yes. Yes. So that is correct. He only played two years at Oklahoma. He went to a junior college first couple of years and then transferred junior, senior year. And they made the national championship his first year on the team as a junior. But I was looking up his stats. I was like, well, how good defensively was he was in college? I'm sure he was good there too. And what I found is he pretty much holds like every record you want to hold in NCAA history for steal. Oh, so wow. he holds the NCAA single game record for most steals in a game with 13. And Whoa. he did it. He did it twice. He did it once junior year, once senior year. Um, no one's ever got 13 before. He did it twice. And that is not only the NCAA record. That is the college for women and men, WNBA, NBA record. It's the highest record above the high school level for most steals in a game. And he did it twice. So he's all time there and honestly might not ever be touched at 13 a game. That's twice. a lot. Yeah, I mean, that, that is, is a like ton. Incredible number of steals for um, one game. Yeah, he averaged 3.8 steals per game across his career um, at Oklahoma over two years. And in 1988, his first year, his junior year, he had 150 steals over the course of the season. That's second most in college basketball history in a season. And then in 89, his senior year, he only had 131 steals, which is seventh most in a season. So he holds the second most and seventh most in a single season record of all time. And then that 1988 championship run, he had 23 steals for the tournament, which is a record for most steals in a tournament still today. Um, averaged 3.83 steals per game. And no one's within three steals of that record. Second place is 19 um, by someone I've never heard of. So he pretty much wrote the, rewrote the record book for steals and still holds it 30 plus years later. And honestly, I don't know if anyone will really touch those. So um, all time, like you could consider him the best defensive point guard in college basketball history. That's, that's not nothing. <laughs> it's not, it's not. And again, you, you college, you take it with, the, it's definitely when you're looking at the hall of fame, can't see the players, to be honest, from some of the voters that I've talked to, it's like 95% pros, 5% other, but it's still a 5%. And when you're, you're one of the best at something, I think it holds value and, and to have him at the top of the record, but it's pretty much across the board. And again, I don't think when I think of college basketball, I don't think of Mookie Blaylock at Oklahoma. <laughs> and, and maybe if they win that national championship, maybe I do think of him a little more. Right. So again, it's that never won it all. Never, you know, gets that recognition runner ups and NCAA championships. You don't look at as runner ups in the NBA finals. That's just not how it's looked at in history. And again, in this instance, he just couldn't get that much further, and, and that could hurt him in the long run. Yeah, and that Kansas team was by no means like a powerhouse. They were mm -hmm. actually regarded as a pretty uh, amazing sort of underdog run to the championship. Uh, they were a six seed, and Oklahoma was a one seed. So really, that was another case of, of him falling short in a uh, postseason or whatever you want to call it type of scenario where – Probably, you know, if, if you play it out again, uh, they, they would win that game more often than not.
All right. So Neil, before we do Rushmore, I think let's tackle, let's tackle case against first. Cause Rushmore is more for fun. Um, let's do case against first. So, you know, we've, we've gone through some of the, you know, on the court things that probably are against them, you know, only one all-star team that doesn't look great when you're thinking of like, who's in a hall, who's a hall of famer. Usually you're at least in the five, six, seven range. But again, the Eastern Conference was pretty stacked back then. You can kind of understand it. No All-NBA teams. You know, he made All-NBA defensive teams, but no All-NBA teams. That hurts. Never got past the second round. That's not great. And again, you mentioned earlier, he didn't play that long. And, you know, that Basketball Hall of Fame is not the Baseball Hall of Fame where you have to play forever and accumulate all those stats. But it does matter to some extent unless you have like an all-time peak. And when you look at his all-time numbers, you know, 11,962 points, that's nowhere near what you want to see. Um, just under 6,000 assists, he's 38th all-time. You don't, like, that's not great. All-time steals, you know, 12th all-time, that's great. And steals per game, he's actually fourth all-time at 2.3. So that's really good. But in terms of just overall numbers, it really hurts him. And then outside of that, and we haven't got to any of this yet, but we definitely have to mention it, Um Mookie had a lot of off-the-court issues while he was playing as well as post-playing that doesn't bode well. So I'm going to kind of turn over to you because we were talking about this before the podcast started. You actually had done even more research than me on this point, but turn over to you kind of go over some of the unfortunate demons that Mookie's faced throughout his, honestly, his life. Yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, really, it was a, it's been a story of struggle for him with alcohol and especially DUIs throughout his like even during his career like he uh, uh he he did um one in 1995 uh and and had uh seven before 2008 i want to say like in his, in his whole life so this was sort of a, a case of a guy that you know, uh, probably should not have been allowed to drive. And in fact, technically wasn't allowed to drive. Uh, at the time, he had a suspended license on the afternoon of May 31st, 2013, when his car uh, went into oncoming traffic. And he was actually sober at the time, but he had a history of seizures because he was um, trying to quit drinking. Uh, and and one of the symptoms of his withdrawal was he had been having seizures. He knew that he was a ri- at risk to have seizures and should not be behind the wheel of a car and still chose to to do that and he had a head-on collision with another car ended up killing a a woman who was a mother of five Uh, he was charged with vehicular homicide driving with a suspended license ultimately served three years in prison eight years probation after that Uh, and so that i think is a is a part of the conversation it has to be about his um just his legacy you know go beyond just the hall of fame although it is part of that too you know uh, is is he the type of person that the Hall of Fame would want to sort of honor. Uh, And you have to talk about this stuff. I found um, an interview with the president of the Basketball Hall of Fame who said, even though they don't have an explicit character clause in their bylaws like they do in baseball of course they have that but even hockey uh, talks about character and and all these things as part of the tapestry of things that make up a player's career basketball doesn't have that but the president of the hall of fame said that they do discuss on off-court issues that it makes up probably like five to 15 percent of the uh, the discussions that they have about 
whether or not a, a former player should go in. So even though there's not a rule that says that if somebody is charged with a crime or serves time in, in prison, they're not eligible, it should be part of the conversation, especially in this particular case, because it was just so needless. You know, so, uh, someone lost their life, uh, and and she was a she was a wife, she was a mother, uh, like I said, a mother of five, and it's just unfortunate because it also you know changed Mookie Blaylock's life forever, uh, and and he had to serve time in, in jail over this, uh, and and really, you know, just it was a case of. Uh, personal demons, you know, sort of uh, marring a post-career uh, story that, you know, we could be sitting here talking about him in a positive light the entire podcast and talking about, you know, uh, him in connection, say, with the Hawks, you know, right now, sure. like on that run that they're going on and kind of hearkening back uh, to previous uh, generations of Hawks point guards. But there's always going to be this very big, part of his uh, very ugly part of his um, post-career story that that has to get talked about so yeah it was really unfortunate and I remember when I saw that I was just was so I was heartbroken because Mookie Blaylock was one of my favorite players growing up and and to see that you know uh, just just for in addition to the people whose lives were changed directly by what he did that day it also you know weighs on fans that uh, you know had looked up to him and, and thought about him in a certain way and, and will never think about him the same way again after that yeah and it's also unfortunate and, and you know neil i growing up in the 90s starting to follow the nba as a kid in the 90s i i did not because i know he got I, I believe he got his first ui in 95 while he was of course playing in the nba and he ended up getting i think six or seven duis throughout his his life maybe more um did, were you aware of this as, as a fan of his growing up because i had no i do i have no recollection of knowing any of this stuff, at least during his playing career. Yeah, I, I might remember it being mentioned on like the local news or something like that. And that was one of the really disturbing things. I think SI had done a story about um, the the incident in which he uh, killed the woman uh, in, in the head-on crash was that uh, it a lot of it had been swept under the rug for a long time. And they were sort of speculating in retrospect, I think one of the attorneys was like, A, how could he be allowed to drive uh, sure. at, at the point in which he was allowed, but also thinking about like, well, if he had this many DUIs that we know about, how many times was he allowed to kind of go, you know, about his business without really having any kind of consequence because he was a star basketball player. Uh, and, and if we knew the true number of times that he had sort of gotten behind the wheel of a car while impaired, it would probably be higher than the number that's actually on record because uh, the, there would be probably a number of cases where the officers, you know, knew him, were fans of his, fans of the team, and sort of let him off easy uh, because of that. So I, I do think that, yeah, it was it was definitely glossed over, especially in terms of the coverage of the team. I remember growing up, they they did not mention it almost at all. I don't think. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I do not remember, but of course, if unfortunately, like some players when they retire become coaches they're in the media it you know it helps it helps their candidacy it honestly might give them a little bump because the people voting you know you're rubbing shoulders with the people that are voting for you and they might think of you in a positive light unfortunately Mookie honestly couldn't have a much worse post playing career in terms of what he's done off the court and it's very unfortunate um all of the things you just said it definitely does not help in the slightest it hurts him in every which way his candidacy, no matter what he did on the court, it's inexcusable what happened off the court. 
Um, so, so Neil, before we get to final verdict, I want to end on a little lighter note because that, that's all extremely unfortunate. We talked about, and that is, I want to do another Rushmore with you because I had a blast last time. And last time when you were on, we were doing a Tim Hardaway podcast. And this honestly is what started the whole Mookie Blaylock. Let's do an episode yeah. on him. Um, if you haven't listened to the Tim Hardaway podcast, check it out. He still is not in the Hall of Fame. Um, we did a podcast. The rules were best point guards of the 90s. And Neil, I believe you selected Mookie Blaylock with your third pick overall. I think it went like I picked Stockton, you picked Gary Payne and Mookie Blaylock. And I was floored because you <laughs> left me players like Kevin Johnson and, and Tim Hardaway. And then I think after that, um, I, we, we were talking, you're like, oh, Mookie's like one of my favorite players growing up. We got to do him. So um, Mookie or that draft might be the reason why we're here today doing this one. Um, so I want to do another one with you because that was fun looking back at history. But I want to kind of tighten the scope up a, a little more here or widen it in, in some regards. But we're going to do a rush more today. And Neil has been prepped. I'm not just throwing him to the wolves here, just unprepped. But it's going to be best defensive point guards. So not guards, point guards in NBA history. So we will build it, our own personal, Neil, go back and forth. We each get four picks, of course. It'll be a snake draft. Neil, last time I had the first pick, um, I let you select who goes first and who goes second. I'm going to leave that again to you. Do you want the first pick this time, or do you want me to go first like last time? I'll, t- I'll take the first pick this this time uh, just, just for fun. And I'm going to take a guy that we talked about already on this. I'm going to take Jason Kidd. I think in terms of the sort of prototypical defensive point guard, if you're talking about a guy that had size, so he couldn't be overwhelmed in the post or sort of physically, but also had the quick feet to kind of stay in front of guys. He had good reach, great hands. Obviously, we talked about the steals, really smart. I think Jason Kidd, sort of like if you're uh, building a perfect defensive point guard, you'd, you'd probably build somebody like Jason Kidd. Yeah, I mean, he's got the size. Um, he, his whole career was, I I think a pretty good on the ball defender, even as older age, he got a little slower, but he's still like a very smart guy on on the court and second all time in steals. I think we mentioned earlier, nine, all defensive teams. I can't really fight you on that one. So that is your number one, who I was hoping you didn't pick is now who I get to pick, which is great, which is Gary Payne, the glove. Okay. Um, he, he was my, he was my number one, no, no matter what, I didn't even really have to think about this too much. I just the only point guard in history to win the all defensive or defensive player of the year award. So I think that has to matter. Um, nine first team, all defensive teams. That's first all time in all first teams. And he's fourth all time in steals, not to mention all time trash talker, had good size at the <laughs> position. Deed up Jordan in the 96 finals when George Carl finally decided to put pain on Jordan. Jordan had one of his worst shooting performances for like a stretch there with pain on him. Um, because I firsthand saw that, um, that, that will always stick with me. So between the trash talking, the size, and just overall his awards, uh, Payne's a, a no-brainer for my first pick. My second pick's tougher. Um, I'm actually going to go back in time quite a bit to Walt Frazier. Yes, from the there Knicks. you go. Yeah. Um, I think he's honestly one of the most overlooked point guards in NBA history. Like with Chris Paul getting to the finals this year, I love that for Chris Paul. He's one of the all-time greats, but people are like, now Chris Paul is, he's in the realm of Magic Johnson and Isaiah Thomas and 
the all-time point guards, and no one ever mentions Walt Frazier in that. And, and he's one of the better point guards of all time. I think I would put Walt Frazier over Chris Paul right now in terms of just overall basketball player, not just defensively. But defensively, he was a seven-time first-team All-NBA defensive um, the team, they kind of started that defensive team right when he came in the league and he was literally on the first team, like the first seven years it was available. So one of the first great point guards that people actually recognized and, and had great size and was just the catalyst of those Knicks teams, but he was great offensively and defensively, but even just on the defensive end, you know, they didn't keep steals until later in his career, but the first couple of years they're keeping steals. He's over two steals a game. So um, of course I did not see him play live or anything like that, but from that time period, one of the better defenders in NBA history. So I'll go Gary Payne first, Walt Frazier second, both, you know, Hall of Famers through and through and some of the better defensive guards of all time. Yeah, no, those were um, both those guys were in my top four. Uh, so I get the sandwich pick now. Is that how this works? You're going to get back to back. Yep. All right. Go so uh, with the first of my two, I'm going to take the other guy who is in my top four, which is Chris Paul. You mentioned mm -hmm. Chris Paul, nine time all uh, defensive team, uh, six time steals leader. Uh, and just a guy, I think we almost don't give him enough credit defensively because he does so many other things well as, as a point guard. Like I'd probably think of him as like a, you know, floor general slash, uh, you know, passer first, second, a great mid-range shooter, one of the all-time uh, best mid-range shooters, and then a, a great defender. So it's like, is there anything this guy can't do? And we're seeing him obviously get his long overdue first uh, finals appearance. So yeah, to me, he, uh, I had him rank actually second behind uh, Jason Kidd so I have the top my top my top two but Your now I have good yeah so now uh with my third I am gonna take Mookie Blaylock I am gonna okay. take Mookie Blaylock so I had him fifth behind uh Peyton and and Clyde Frazier and we've talked about him at length uh what his defense was like but I do think that one of the testaments to it was just how good those Hawks teams were and how they were good even before, you know, defensively, even before um, Matumbo arrived. And certainly Matumbo uh, added to it to kind of create probably one of the better like point guard slash center defensive combos ever on the same team together. Uh, but yeah, Mookie Blaylock was a guy that, um, again, just, you know, had he was uh, despite the size, that's really the only part of the package that that he wasn't, um, you know, excelling at on defense. Uh, but I don't remember there being I mean, I think I used the term wiry earlier, because I think he was stronger than uh, maybe you would think just by looking at him, because I don't remember him really getting abused all that much in the post. And those were in the days before they put in the um, Mark Jackson rule, uh, because Mark Jackson would sort of uh, occupy the entire shot clock, just backing someone down in the yep. post for no good reason and uh, the NBA was looking at that and being like yeah this isn't a great product let's uh put the kibosh on that so uh, but I don't remember Mookie being especially susceptible to post-ups or anything like that so I think he was stronger than than he looked and obviously was like you like we've been saying the whole time especially you you brought those college stats he is the king of steals yeah. I mean like you know nobody uh was was as much of a thief and in fact on his I, I don't remember this being his nickname at the Time, I saw this too. According to Basketball <laughs> Reference, they have the nickname on there, The Thief, which, first of all, if your name is Mookie Blaylock, I don't think you need a nickname. Not and second of all, I don't remember The Thief being uh, his nickname, but he was a great thief. So it fits. Neil, does NBA ref or does Basketball Reference require a nickname? Because I feel like every player has one and most of them I've never heard before. <laughs> 
there's some pretty ridiculous ones on there and uh, i i have been blamed for them at times in the past and i sort of uh resist the the um the blame in a lot of the cases i would point out that uh many of them have been added since i stopped working there that's just a point of clarification i want to make uh but no i think uh you know at the uh, when i was there we would try to find like oh if there were like fun or silly nicknames put them in sure. uh and and add them so i think they've kind of taken that spirit and maybe run with it but yeah it does seem like they've added some kind of weird off the wall nickname for almost every player and not a lot of them are in common circulation we'll say yeah i mean if you look back at mookie's career and you're like what's a good nickname for him the thief that's fine but i have no memory of anyone calling him that and again why would you have a nickname for a guy named mookie blay like it's an all-time mookie name, already so. was a nickname his, exactly. his full name is darren ashe blaylock yeah so that he already has mookie exactly Exactly. Mookie's the nickname. I, I don't know, but um, I saw that too. And it made me laugh. I was like, that's not a nickname, but sure. <laughs> um, okay. So those are great picks. Both again, you haven't said anyone who's like not on my list. So you haven't gone too off the wall here, which is, which is, it's pretty unlike last time. I think we had very different kind of big boards here. I think they're pretty similar this time. I bet our rankings are a little different, but uh, my last two picks here to go with, um, Frazier and Payne are going to be DJ. So Dennis Johnson, Okay. um, you know, people, he just got in the hall of fame a few years ago. Another one of these, a very similar kind of Mookie type guy who was on those Celtics teams in, in the eighties and was a great defender and was going head to head with Mo cheeks and people like that. Um, and also actually won a championship with the supersonics in the seventies as like one of the main guys, but he has nine all defensive teams. Um, which is tied for Gary Payne for most by a point guard. Um, six first teams. He, he wasn't a big, you know, he wasn't like Mookie getting all the steals, but just being able to play good defense, um, on the ball defense. Uh, that was DJ as a, as a player. And really, I think his defense is what got him in the Hall of Fame. He wasn't an elite scorer. He wasn't an elite distributor. I think his scoring numbers are a little better than Mookie's. Assist numbers are probably a little under but he was a great defender and that's what really got him in. So I'm going to put DJ there with nine all defensive teams. And then my final one, I'm interested to know if this is even in your pool. Um, this might be my out of, out of the, out of the normal pick, but I want to give him a little credit because this guy definitely never gets credit. And as for someone from Chicago, I want to get his name out there every once in a while. I but know it's, who it's, you're going to say. It, it, it's Norm Van Leer. Norm Van Leer. Um, Yes, he's on so, my he's on my list. So so I have two people who predominantly play in the 70s, which is a forgotten basketball era if there ever was one. But he was on the Bulls. Um, he was just he he was a monster defensively, like at like the intensity level of him. Think of like Russ Westbrook on offense, and that was norm um on defense. He was he was a he was just a monster on defense. He made eight all defensive teams, three first. Um, his steal numbers, again, they didn't keep steals until later in his career, but when they made him available, he was near the top of the league every every year. And, you know, when you go to the United Center, there's not that many Bulls jerseys hanging up in the rafters. Um, and Norm Van Leer is not hanging up there yet. And this is my kind of just platform to put Norm Van Leer up there. Um, one of the better Bulls before Jordan came around and that whole air started. And one of the better defensive point guards of all time. So he's going to be my final pick. It's probably the only Rushmore I can put Norm Van Leer on seriously. So I got to throw him out there now. So Norm Van Leer, final pick. Good to hear he's part of your pool, Neil. 
Yeah, I, I was, uh, after the guy I'm going to take next, uh, he, he, Norm Van Leer was actually the, the next player, the next to the next. So I'm this one, hopefully I can continue my trend of blowing your mind with an out of left field pick that involves the Atlanta Hawks, because I'm going to take Nate McMillan. Nate ah, McMillan no, good. is uh, very underrated. Well, he was underrated as a coach uh, until very recently, uh, but also underrated as a player. I don't think people realize. So he played his whole career with the Seattle Supersonics, which also, you know, uh, RIP uh, th that team. But he led the NBA in defensive box plus minus three times in 93, 94, and 95. He is actually second on the all-time career list. And I say all-time again. And it goes back to 74 uh, in box plus defensive box plus minus. The only player ahead of him is David Robinson. I know box plus minus is not the be all end all of stats, but the other players among the top uh, 10 uh, include Draymond Green, Mark Eaton, who also recently passed away, RIP, Ben Wallace, Hakeem Olajuwon, uh, Tree Rollins, Tim Duncan is in there, our, our boy Andre Kirilenko, uh, Kawhi Leonard, Rudy Gobert. So this is, it's a list that makes sense. And you see a lot of these kind of big men and guys that were known for their rim protection and things like that. And then you have Nate McMillan on there. He's not the only guard on the list, but he's the only guard really close to the top. You have to go down to number 17, Chris Paul, and then Doc Rivers, who's another guy that's pretty underrated uh, in terms of his defense. Another Atlanta guy, by the way, uh, th that uh, you have to go down that far to find another player that was a guard uh, among this, at least predominantly among this group. Uh, and, and there Nate McMillan is at number two on that list. So I think it's really telling. He's another guy that did all of those things that we mentioned when it came to Mookie Blaylock uh, as well, which is like lots of steals, uh, you know, uh, just high basketball IQ in general. Uh, and he was really good at avoiding fouls also. So I, I think uh, it would be interesting to look up his um, his foul. What was it? Foul his to ratio steal to foul ratio, steal the foul ratio <laughs> or whatever. And he could block shots too which i think is actually one of the things that was sort of missing from not that you cared that much from a from yeah. a point guard uh with with mookie blaylock he didn't block that many shots again that was really matumbo's job but nate mcmillan was one of those point guards that also racked up a fair number of blocks uh in addition to uh leading the league and steal rate a number of times so i think nate mcmillan is a guy that uh just perennially underrated player uh and and was really like at six five i think he fits into that jason oh, yeah. kid type of um uh, lineage also of like the bigger guards that can guard point guards they can guard shooting guards you can't bully them in the post uh even back when that was like more of a thing uh for guards to do or really for anyone to do frankly uh and and so yeah nate mcmillan i think is a guy that uh never got as much credit he made the all defensive team twice yep. uh and led the league in steals once but uh, he he probably should have gotten more all defensive consideration than he actually got yeah i i looked him up real quick so steals do uh fouls ratio not in his favor uh 1500 steals 2500 or i'm sorry 2400 uh, fouls. So, so nowhere near oh, not a, in, a good ratio not there, but, but, but the blocks, you're right. 356 blocks for a point guard is very high. So, um, definitely, definitely an underrated defender. He was in my pool. He wouldn't have been a top eight guy, but he was definitely in the realm of that. So not as off the wall as last time. And again, Mookie was not off the wall as much as he was your third pick, which was off the wall to me, but, um, <laughs> just for those scoring at home, 
My final Rushmore was Gary Payne, Dennis Johnson, Walt Frazier, and Norm Van Leer. And Niels was Chris Paul, Jason Kidd, Mookie Blaylock, and Nate McMillan. And Nate McMillan, of course, is coaching the Hawks right now. And he's not going to be in the Hall of Fame. We're never going to do an episode on him as a player. But if the Hawks can win the championship this year, that really boosts his stock as a, uh, as a Hall of Fame coach. And that's, of course, um, as it sits right now, um, two to two still. It's so, very possible. Yeah. And he, uh, you know, has a very long and distinguished coaching career that again, we're just sort of uh, reappreciating. And I think he had that reputation for, you know, teams maybe getting to the playoffs and him letting teams overachieve during the regular season, but then uh, disappointing in the playoffs. So it's great to see him actually, you know, win, win a couple of playoff series and, and really make a deep playoff run. And the Hawks are a team that, again, a lot of this goes to the, um, the the Mookie Blaylock era we had not seen them go past the second round almost ever they made the conference finals in I believe it was 2015 and then got just thoroughly outclassed by the Cavaliers um so to see them be competitive and uh you know really fight for a, a slot in the NBA finals is also just you know really um really amazing as somebody that grew up in Atlanta and once worked for that team as well. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm rooting for them. I'm sure, I don't know when this podcast is going to drop. I'm sure people will know how that ended up going uh, by the time they listened to it. But uh, yeah, kudos to, uh, to Nate McMillan for the job he's done since taking over as a coach for this team. Yeah. So let's go to final verdict now, Neil. So I asked you two questions here per usual. One, do you believe Mookie Blaylock should be in the Hall of Fame? And two, do you think he ever will get into the Hall of Fame? Yeah, I think the answer to both is no. You know, I think at the end of the day, he was one of the better point guards of his era. And it was a great era for point guards, but it sort of helped overshadow him in some ways. I think the fact that modern metrics consider him better than some players who are in the hall is nice, but I don't know that voters are really going to look at that uh, all, all that much. Maybe that'll change with time, but I don't see it changing substantially uh, to the point where uh, he actually gets in. And like you said, he was never on an all NBA team. He only got one career MVP vote, never made it past the second yep. round never play it really didn't play that much after his prime ended uh at basketball reference he has a six percent hall of fame probability so yeah i think he's a hall of really good player type of guy uh and there's nothing wrong with that but um it it definitely is is a different class of player than than a hall of famer yeah no i i same answers that's very boring of us but no no as well again everything you stated and um i think a couple of things break differently in his career you know, again, as you said, maybe Michael Jordan plays baseball and those Hawks teams get to the finals um, or, or they advance farther. Uh, things could maybe break a different way. We think of them in a higher light. But where, where I always get to, I, I have a philosophy in terms of when we're looking at a Hall of Famer, I always feel like no matter what sport, to be honest, it, it kind of goes across baseball, basketball, football, because I do these for all three of those sports, um, you know, if you're not top five at your position for the decade, uh, I have a hard time arguing unless it's an insane decade, which there, you know, there's always outliers, but it's hard. And when I look at the nineties, you know, I look at, and we talked about this with Tim Hardaway, but like Stockton and Payne, I think are at a, a different tier than everyone else. Their first tier. And then there's a second tier with like Kevin Johnson, Tim Hardaway, Penny Hardaway, Mark Price. And then there's this third tier, which would be kind of the seventh best or, or worse of like Mookie, Terry Porter, Rod Strickland, Mark Jackson. I think Mookie fits in right with those guys. 
And again, those guys are outside looking in, in terms of being a top five point guard of the decade. And if you can't be top five point guard of the decade, unless it's an all-time decade. And trust me, there's, I think there's more than six centers from the the nineties in the hall of fame. And there should be, um, I have trouble putting you in. So I'm going to know both ways too. He's a hall of very good. He's one of the better, as we said in that Rushmore, Neil, we have him as the fifth best defensive point guard of all time. That's not someone you should forget about. Um, it's someone should be remembered. He's one of the best, you know, thieves of all time as his made up nickname, nickname says. Yeah. But <laughs> um, yeah, I can't see him as a hall of famer, but someone who honestly shouldn't be forgotten in NBA history is one of the better players of a decade. And one of the best defensive players, honestly, in the, in the history of the game. And it's funny, we we're talking about the Norm Van Leer thing. I'm like, I'm a Bulls fan. I, Mookie Blaylock could be like the Atlanta Hawks, Norm Van Leer type, right? When you're looking back, like you remember Mookie Blaylock, he was really good on those nineties Hawks teams, just like me, but 40, 50 years after Norm Van Leer played, I'm like, Norm Van Leer was a really good player. Mookie might be more in that kind of category of player, which again is perfectly fine. Just not hall of fame material. Yeah. And you know, I think uh, from our Rushmore picks, I probably was a little bit higher uh, among the nineties point guards on, uh, on Mookie than you were. But I, I think even if I put him in that same tier with like the Kevin Johnson or the Tim Hardaway or whatever, it's not clear cut. None and, of those guys are in the hall of fame. Right. I, and I you come back to it. Tier. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you make a great point that, you know, you have to be a certain ranking in the league as a whole and a ranking at your position. Uh, both of those things matter because, you know, it's talk is cheap when it comes to the hall of fame, right? Like we can, and, yeah. and you probably know this from doing this podcast, you can talk about somebody being in the hall of fame, but then you start actually working out, okay, well, how many players from a given season or a given era should be in the hall of fame to kind of stay consistent with the size of hall of fame that you want. Then you start having to make really tough choices, right? Like you start when you actually have to sit down and think about, how many Hall of Famers played in the NBA in 1998 uh, or whatever? And, and then you start rattling off the guys that are already in there. And then you're thinking about who you would add. And you're just like, geez, should we really have this many Hall of Famers playing in the league at this time? And that was one of my issues with Tim Hardaway was I was talking, we were talking about the run TMC teams and thinking about that team, that team might have three Hall of Famers on it. And it never did much of anything in the postseason. You're just like, maybe there's something off about our conception of who should be in the hall of fame. Maybe we're being a little too uh, generous about it. And I think that's the same with Mookie Blaylock where it's like, maybe he was in the conversation with some of these guys, but if you start including him in the hall of fame, you got to include a lot of weird yeah. players in the like Sam Cassell should be in the hall of fame. Yeah. Uh, and, and you're, you're talking about expanding it pretty, uh, pretty significantly uh, to fit in the players that are Mookie like that, that would also go in as a, as a, a consequence of, of putting him in. No, those are all really good points. So, Neil, before we get you out of here, one last quick question for you. You are an Atlanta Hawks fan. It is July 1st we're recording this. It is 2-2. Game 5 is tonight. What do you, what do you think the Hawks' chances, at, honestly, are of getting the finals? This will actually come out on Monday, July 5th, a possible Game 7 if it gets there. So it'll be actually a great release drop if it is a Game 7 that morning. Um, oh, fantastic. What, what do you what do, what do you honestly think as as a, a fan? Do you do you think the Hawks are going to end up winning this series, getting to the finals? You know, it, it's so tough because uh, if Giannis is out, uh, and certainly that injury looked really nasty, it did look terrible. I would give the Hawks a. Uh, more than a 50-50 shot, you know. I, I think that the Bucks are so dependent on Giannis. Yet at the same time, you know, Trey Young has been banged up. 
So, uh, you know, I, I think it's just about uh, who's healthier. For what it's worth, our model, because we um, we give Giannis some like probability of playing, thinks that the Hawks only have a 29% chance. It also thinks the Bucks are a lot better on paper. Uh, but I think that seems a little bit low, but I don't know that I would go full uh, full 50-50. Yeah, let's just say it's a, I, I think it's probably 50-50 because, again, I don't know, given that injury to Giannis, I'm stunned that they didn't find any damage, you know, um, and I'm happy that they didn't find any damage too. Cause I hate the fact that so much of this playoff has been determined by injuries. And I think Paul George was totally right. I mean, it sounded like sour grapes or whatever, when he was talking about if we had had Kawhi, things would have been different, but that's true. I think things could have been very different for them in that series if they had had uh, Kawhi. And that's true of like a bunch of teams in the playoffs, they could point to injuries. Sure. So it's, it's been really devastating and I hate to see that. So I think uh, if, all else being equal, yeah, I think it's probably a toss-up right now. I know that's kind of a, a cop-out of an answer or whatever, but I just don't know. Like, there's so much that we don't know about who is going to be available. Um, and Giannis is like the big uh, domino um, th that either could fall into place for Milwaukee or out of place that, that would make or break their, their series. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see. All the injuries have been unfortunate, but almost every team's faced them, and it's, it's just wild. And I do want to, all the Hawks fans listening today, because I'm sure if it's a Mookie Blaylock podcast, there's going to be some Hawks fans listening today. I want to, I do want to say, like, great job by you all when Giannis did get hurt. Everyone was extremely respectful. They clapped when he got up. That It shouldn't be surprising, and, it, it, and I shouldn't be so surprised by it and have to congratulate you, but that's not always the case with fans, so... Goodbye, you all, for being super respectful about that. And no one wants to see that, even when you're versing that team. You want you want everyone to stay healthy. So um, Yeah, it's not the way all. that you, you don't no. want to win that way. And I think, you know, we've seen uh, other cases where teams beat a depleted team and people ask questions about like, oh, should have really counted, you know, should we put an asterisk on it or whatever. And it's like, nobody wants that to be hanging over them. Uh, obviously flags fly forever. So, you know, you'd, you'd rather win no matter how it happens. But at the same time, uh, I, I think having Trey versus Giannis head to head, like we've been, like we had been seeing in the first three games of the series is the way that every NBA fan should want this series to go not like you know both of them being out or one being in and one being out like that's that's just not the the product that we sort of signed up to see no most definitely well Neil I want to thank you again for coming on talking Mookie Blaylock if you don't already follow Neil um, on Twitter uh, follow his writing um, at 538 and Neil good luck with Atlanta Hawks. It would be interesting to see how this series pans out here. Yeah. I'm curious as to, yeah, how wrong I sound when, uh, to, to your listeners, when the episode finally drops. <laughs> well, um, again, good luck, take care. And I'm sure, um, we'll get you on here for a, a fifth time and I'll figure out how to, how to make that jacket work. Yeah, and we got you've you've said it uh, you said it off air before we started. We got to do a hockey uh, episode, so I'm I'm here for you when you do that. Uh, I will uh, have to I will have to be head down in, in books for I'm reading hockey books to try to just understand the history a little better. But if again, if we bring you on for a hockey episode, I might have you host it, and and I'll just pipe in every once in a while with some off the off the wall comment. But we will. Listeners, we will do a hockey episode at some point. People have been asking. We will figure it out. I guarantee Neil will be the first guest because he knows how this works and he can kind of lead us through it. Um, so and I one can calculate day we will. giveaway to takeaway ratio or whatever the equivalent <laughs> in hockey would be to uh, steal to foul ratio. 
Sounds good, Neil. All right. You have a uh, great 4th of July and uh, good luck with the Hawks. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me on. All right. So I want to thank Neil again for coming on the podcast today. Always have a blast when he joins and I'm sure he will join again in the near future. Uh, that, I mean, we really covered everything you could about Mookie Blaylock. Really have nothing to add here. So as I said, the top of podcast this week, email us at podofame.com with any questions you have for that mailbag episode. Uh, really looking forward to that. The questions I've gotten so far are awesome. Please keep sending them in. Looking forward to that episode. Uh, per usual, follow us on Twitter if you don't already. Uh, subscribe and follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And we will talk to you uh, next Monday for that mailbag episode. So have a great week and take care. And the